Beyond the Headline with Aldrin Sampia on SAFM. Weekdays, 3 to 6 p.m. It is 10 minutes after 5 o'clock and it's time for the interview deciphering the politics of the EFF, the country's third largest political party. This year marks 10 years since Julius Malema and Floyd Chivam, when many other former members of the ANC Youth League founded the Economic Freedom Fighters. The base on which this party was founded has proven throughout the past 10 years to be one that has identified with the poor and disenfranchised. However, though, former EFF member Andile Mkritama says the party has betrayed its founding principles and according to him the EFF continues to fail its on its constituency on a number of fronts on the other hand though credit must be given to this young political party as its uh, support base continues to grow while at the same time providing doubters wrong by d- while at the same time proving doubters wrong uh, by disrupting and shaking the country's political landscape. So do you think the EFF will govern this country one day? 614 Your tweet at Aldrin Simpia and our studio line is 086-000-2032. We speak to Andilem Klitama, leader of Black First, Land First Party and a former member of the EFF. Then after that, we'll speak to Klingyum Kalipi, EFF member of the Central Command Team and a former Deputy Secretary General of the EFF. Andile, good afternoon and thank you so much for making time for us. Yes, good afternoon to you and to the listeners. So, can you take us back to that moment? I don't know if somebody approached you and told you about this new political party that they want to form, the brainstorming that happened around it back in 2012, 2013. Well, uh, there were talks and uh, we were part of them uh, though in a distance about approaching Julius to form a new political party. Um, I had been a critique of Julius when he was the leader of the Youth League, and my argument was that he is a comprador um, involved in conspicuous consumption and corruption and all that. But when they formed the EFF, they started talking about land expropriation without compensation. And I argue that that particular principle closes any political differences we might have because it helps back to precisely the Africanist position, even those who left the ANC to form the PAC, who said the land belongs to black people and it must be retained. And on the basis of that, uh, we joined. And uh, though we were still skeptical, Mm. We we believe that we could work the policies such that there is no right turning. And that is why when I worked with Floyd on the founding manifesto of the EFF, we brought in the Sankara Oath. The Sankara Oath says that all public servants must use public services. We believe that would have, in a great way, undermined the compradorial corrupt consumption-driven politics. However, uh, just before we were expelled in that conference, they edited out the Sankara Oath. And not only that, they also edited the land um, principle. Now it reads land expropriation without compensation 
in use. They brought they brought in in use, mm-hmm. and that in use become very significant when they met farmers in PAL in 2015, where Julia said, no, EFF does not want to take all the land. It only wants to take unused land. So thereby, the revolutionary beginnings turn to the right. And we saw that by them going to London, meeting with Reverend Ronwick, coming back, giving political power to the Democratic Alliance, which is a party of land thieves. And not only that, we know that when Robert Renwick, whom they met in London, says these guys are not serious about the nationalization project. And uh, we also know when Zuma turned left, instead of supporting Zuma, they supported white monopoly capital. And Julius is on record of saying, Rupert, Johan Rupert must give them money so that they can get rid of Zuma. So politically, there has been this left rhetorical moves, but political practice has been to consolidate precisely the right wing yeah. and white interests. What, what do you mean that when, when Zuma turned left, um, at which point would he have turned left? You know, in that speech of 2017, uh, presidential speech, uh, uh, Zuma says in parliament, black political parties Is this the House of Traditional Leaders? In the House of Traditional Leaders, is that the one? Yes, that's right, yes. He said that black political parties must unite to bring about land redistribution. Now, that is a very radical move by a sitting president who recognized finally our call for blacks to unite and use a political majority to amend the constitution to make sure that land is retained. Right at that time, when he said that, and also when he was talking about uh, radical economic transformation, talking about the transformation of the economy, you know, people don't realize how radical the uh, mining charter under Sebenzizwani is. It said that we must get 30% of the mines in a year's time and 1% of total uh, turnover must be returned to black people and over 50% representation in the boards of the mining houses. Now, that was a massive radical move, including, of course, Zuma's call for free education, implementing it, all of that, of course, we know now has been reversed. I'm saying at a time when Zuma was turning left and radical, when all radicals should have supported Zuma, the EFF stood with white capital against Zuma. So where is the radicalism there? Yeah, but but one of the campaigns, for instance, when you guys joined Parliament in 2014 was um, Ngandla and Pay Back the Money. Um, you had a press briefing that you had called um, around this issue of Pay Back, of pay back the Money. Um, and the EFF had said that we have a campaign and that was one of the reasons that you were expelled. So, so, so when you speak about the turning left of former President Jacob Zuma, this would have happened at a later stage, perhaps in 2017, as you put it. But in 2014, the party had a campaign um, that Zuma must pay back the money. It, it was a wrong campaign. I have actually went to apologize to President Zuma. You see, we can't call for Zuma to account when we have not done so for white capital such as Marcus Juste, who's the biggest corrupt person. We have not seen matches 
that demands that he must account only now that he is being held accountable. So I'm arguing that this attack against blacks, particularly those who move towards the left, is is basically pushing the agenda of whiteness. Look at people that EFF has come against, people like Machela Koko, people like Brian Molif, people who were transforming uh, ESCOM and also being making sure that it provides energy. But because they were enemies of white capital, our brothers went against them. So I'm saying we must not listen to what they say. We must look at what they actually do. What they do is to strengthen the hand of white capital and even legitimizing a racist party such as the DA. So it is vulgar pragmatism. They have moved away from any radical principled engagement with the revolutionary process. Does it does it does it change anything that the party now says that it won't be working with with the DA? And I remember back in 2016 there was that press briefing in in Alexandra being addressed by Julius Malema, and the issue that he raised there was that um, they'd rather go with the better devil, and in that the better devil being the Democratic Alliance. Things have changed now. Um, does that matter at all? It doesn't matter. It is part of their. Julius is, uh, let's grant him that he's a very capable politician who uses rhetoric to turn this way and that way. Um, so now I've seen even their call for the next elections is about going against uh, Johan Rupert and the Oppenheimers and uh, saying it's the new 1994. But the truth of the matter is that how they go to use that political power once they get it is to sustain the same project of white monopoly capital. I'm arguing that EFF has become a normalized political party of the right. However, it mobilizes left-wing rhetoric to legitimize this project. Okay, where do you see the party now? And the question that we're also asking our listeners is whether they see um, the EFF becoming a governing party at some point. Where do you stand? Look, you know, I had an almost all-night meeting with President Zuma. One of the things that he told me was that... When is this? um, This must have been like four years ago. Okay. Uh, And one of the things that he told me was that Julius is a formidable opponent, and people are underestimating. I believe that uh, the EFF, with its numbers, it will be able to get into a government, either with the DA or with the ANC. It makes no difference because they don't care for uh, ideological orientation. They care for accessing power. Julius may become the deputy president of this country. Anybody who thinks that is not possible has not looked at how this man is capable. He's a very capable politician. Unfortunately, he's not a revolutionary. And why do you say that? Precisely because of his conspicuous consumption, his amassing of wealth through associating with corrupt individuals, I mean, there are claims around the VPS as well. Uh, but for me, the direct thing is that association with the tobacco smuggler, uh, Mazoti, who is 
um, admitted, self-confessed smuggler and tax dodger. And that explains also the kind of lack of principles with regard to Pan-Africanism. You know, this call of Julius Malema that Africa is one and so on. It is to facilitate tobacco smuggling from Zimbabwe for his funder. But Mazoti you know, was I mean, there I'm right at the beginning as well when you were a member of the EFF. Why didn't you have a problem then? Or did you? Well, I didn't know this. I, I didn't know. In fact, uh, Mazoti used to come to EFF events. I didn't know. I just thought these are just white people who are friends with the president. I didn't know that was Mazoti. I didn't know that is the man that paid for the registration of the party. Uh, when we were asked to put to take our monies out to contribute towards the registration of the party, which we did. But this white man who now turns out Julius lives in his house, is a tobacco smuggler, and this call for opening of the borders is to facilitate criminality because then tobacco will move very easily from Zimbabwe to South Africa. Andile, thank you so much for your time. Andile Mkritama, um, leader of Black First Land First Party and former member of the EFF. When we come back, we're in conversation with Leanne Mateis, who's the EFF spokesperson and also the former Treasurer General of the party. The only talk radio afternoon drive show that makes sense. Beyond the Headline with Aldrin Simpia, right here on SAFM. It is now 25 minutes after 5 o'clock. We're in conversation next with Lien Mateis, who's the spokesperson for the EFF and also the former Treasurer General of the party. Lien, good afternoon and thank you so much for making time for us. Don't know if you want to quickly respond to Andy Lemkritama or if we should just go ahead with our conversation. No, I have to. I thanks for having us. I didn't even know it was him until you concluded, because I'm thinking, okay, this is, uh, you know, a member who has not been in the center, um, in the center of a national leadership. Mm-hmm. So just for number one, for Andile to even say, talk about open border policies, he was part of us. Um, working on our founding manifesto and what should go in there and what we should represent. As yeah, so EFF. he says, yeah. Yeah, so how is it all of a sudden he's going to say that Julius uh, is pushing for open border policies because he wants to smuggle cigarettes when those were discussions we had at the very founding level on why we need. And he was the one that even led uh, those debates, including land, etc. So I'm just really shocked. And even about cigarette smugglers and he, whoever he wants to call him that, but that he didn't know uh, that the money, those things were, do you know what an intense state we were in because we did not have enough money to pay for that? And there was not a single person in national leadership that included Andile that did not know that at the last minute we had to take that route and take, uh, and he didn't even pay the full amount anyway. I think it was about 200 and something K. So, I mean, for Andile, just to be so mischievous uh, with misleading, it's really unnecessary. And I think it speaks volumes about what his agenda is. I mean, if there was something honest and real to talk about, I understand. But all that, no, he's, that's, no. Let's speak about about the party and um, the party's trajectory. Um, you know, the EFF does get a lot of flack. Um, you are in a very heated position as well as uh, the third biggest party. 
But we have to admit that you have actually grown over the years. Um, I was looking at the figures right now. Um, like, for instance, if you look at the 2019 election, the 2014 elections, rather, the general elections, you had 25 seats. And that is when you just started to um, to join, um, the, join um, the elections. This is in 2014. And then in 2019 to 44. So that's nearly double your seat. How does the EFF do it? Well, that's what I'm saying. We have consistently grew as a party since we uh, entered the whole political landscape. But it is because we have, number one, we have activists in the organization. And people that have joined are committed to economic freedom in our lifetime. It is because we have proper structures. That thing, Adrian, of having uh, branch structures is very, very important. You can't run an organization without having people on the ground who you can call, who can provide information, uh, who can get you party agents who are there at the voting station. Uh, and they also assist in us drafting our, our manifestos and our election manifestos. But above all that, democratic centralism is what is the only thing that can work in a political party for it to be successful and to be effective. And that is obviously mistaken as dictatorship, and it's not, because we have lots of heated uh, debates before a decision is uh, is made. And, you know, in 2016, and I often say this, is that we couldn't read consensus whether we should vote with the DA after we had all those hung metros and, you know, other... Uh, in local municipalities. Mm. We had to go to a vote. Like We had this ballot, silent ballot, and that's how the decision was taken. It was a painful thing that we had to endure every day, but, you know, that was something uh, that we did. Do, so, do you think that that meant that the party has drifted away from its core principles? Which were the core principles? Because this was just about whether we vote or we don't vote. So we vote with the with the ANC voting with the DA, there was no core principles that we were moving away with. So it wasn't with us voting with the... Remember, we were never in a coalition. But it wasn't that we are saying we are now a liberal party. We are not saying we are now moving to neoliberalism policies that we support racism, etc. It was a strategic move. The same uh, with the ANC. It wasn't like we were now saying that we support its corruption and all that needed to go. With the party and used... that we maintained our positions even there in Parliament. We've never voted with them on anything that was anti um, our position. Would the party follow the same strategy, um, Lian, if there is a, a, a hung, um, uh, not council, but a hung legislature, national legislature, national legislature, sorry. Oh, in national assembly, well, I, yeah. Or even with well, the provinces, for that matter. Yeah. Well, look, we've always we've adopted that approach a long time ago. Like this is what we want to achieve because the national, on a national and a provincial level, there's more. Um, there's more opportunity for legislative changes. So, example, the expropriation of land with, um, uh, without compensation is not something that can be implemented or legislation can be changed on a local government level. But when we move and uh, we're having coalition talks, or let's say who we are going to move with, that would be something that would come up. And that was what we even did in 2016. Uh, <clears throat> and we announced that as well. So we will look... 
it's a bit hard for us to say exactly how we're going to move because we're in it to win it, right? And uh, we sit and we have to consider what were the dynamics, what led to a whole lot of things. Um, Mm -hmm. So our decisions are informed really by the material conditions uh, during the elections and the outcomes. And we might even just decide, okay, let's just sit back. Yeah, and not get involved. Just, just a final one quickly, and <laughs> on the question around land expropriation without compensation, something that the party pushed for even when it started, when it was um, in parliament, started in parliament, the, the ANC at the time uh, pushed against it, but then there was a resolution that was taken at the ANC's uh, 2017 conference. The matter was then put back on the table, um, but that battle, of course, was lost with the amendment of Section 25 of the Constitution. Was there um, any amendment to the EFF's uh, a, approach to land expropriation without compensation. I don't know if you heard Andy Lemklitama saying that um, the party moved away to only expropriating unused land. No, we've never ever supported that. That's not true. So he must come and show us when we agreed uh, to that amendment. Uh, you'd remember that even when the bill went to, so the bills are taken to the people and to constituencies for input. And our fighters were all there. We were very clear on what this bill should be about and what we disagreed with and what is going to be the most effective way. So, Andile, I, I don't know. For Andile to just come on national radio and just blow wind of things that are just there in public and very, you know, easy yep. to assess, it's unnecessary. But outside of that, the expropriation of, listen, also the ANC, they used the expropriation of land without compensation both strategically. You remember that elections were coming up and they saw that this expropriation of land without compensation yep. was starting to take effect. I mean, like since 2014 to at 2016, when we started talking Le- about Le- expropriation Le- of Le- land... Le- I'm, so, I'm so, so sorry. I know that we've hijacked <laughs> you because we couldn't get a hold of, um, of, of your colleague. If you can please, please, please indulge us with just an extra five minutes just after business. Please, please, please. Perfect. Thank you so much. Apologies, we're late for news headlines. Beyond the Headline with Aldrin Sampia on SAFM, weekdays 3 to 6 p.m. It is 11 minutes now before 6 o'clock. Let's just quickly conclude the conversation with Lianne Mateis, who's the spokesperson for the EFF and the former Treasurer General of the party. Lianne, one question that I wanted to raise with you, and thank you once again for, for this time that you've given us and also um, extending that time with us as well, um, is the open border policy. Has the EFF done any research to look into whether it has lost some level of support because of that particular policy? And what does that figure stand at, if you did so? No, we haven't. We don't need to do research because our biggest agenda or our agenda as the EFF is is pan-Africanism. We want one Africa. And every single country on this continent uh, has been divided and has been colonized, well, except for Ethiopia, um, by some European country. So part of what we want to achieve as the EFF is to go throughout the continent, continent and conscientize on why we need to have one Africa, because this is what is going to stop us from these ridiculously high levels of poverty that we see on our continent, despite us having or being the richest continent uh, in the world. So but but has it cost you any votes, that, though? 
But if it does, it's okay because we're not looking at immediate gratification. But it can't cost us votes because, as you said earlier, is that we have grown as a community. And you could have party. probably grown by we a bigger also, margin. And that's okay. But we don't want people to come on board and then we start having a party that is going to be anti-African. And also there's a misunderstanding and it's intentionally so. And uh, this puts South Africa first. This is Stellenbosch-sponsored uh, narrative. It is also to take attention away from expropriation of land without compensation. Uh, and they've made us start hating each other for something. We are fighting over pitch toilets. Literally, that's what we are doing amongst each other as Africans. The open policy or open border policy, as people like calling, is very effective in Europe. What's stopping us from doing that? And we were a continent before we were colonized who had exactly that. We were open. We're not saying people are just going to move in and there's no documentation. Of course not. But if I want to go and work and live in Swaziland or Zimbabwe or Nigeria or Egypt, I must be able to do that without this whole long process of visas, um, working permits, and we are the ones who discriminate uh, amongst ourselves as Africans the most because those Americans and uh, British, they just come into our country, they get stamped and they are allowed in. And they have those same arrangements amongst each other. But here we're talking about what? So what we need to have, Aldrin, is actually research on what is the what what dire situation are we in as Africans because we have other Africans here in our continent? Okay, and uh, the that labor is desk. What's the real? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes, Labour Desk. The, the Labour Desk of the party, of course, there was that um, there was that court ruling um, that the Labour Desk is not a union and can't get involved in the relationship between mm-hmm. um, between employer and and employee. The party did resolve though to start its own union. How far are you with that? Uh, we we spoke we have spoken about it. Look, our core business is building a political party and taking over economic. Uh, power or political power rather in the country. So us diverting right now uh, is is too soon. We need to work on our electoral uh, victories and we need to put more energy in that. But it, but it is ongoing engagements that we have on a central command team level, uh, but we haven't taken any serious steps in terms of registering. The Labour desk has been very effective. So whatever ruling uh, the courts can say, we've never said that we are a union, but we said that we have a labor desk and we will intervene, and that is what we've been doing. And the number of people that come, if you go to our headquarters every day, you'll be shocked. And that's just headquarters, forget our regional and provincial offices. Yeah, listen, people that I have bumped into as well would tell you that if they have an issue at work, um, and and it's almost become like they they evoke the name of the EFF to almost threaten (laughs) the employer that I will call Julius on you. Yeah, exactly. Or please give me a beret. I just want to wear it into the, the office just to, yeah, exactly that. So, okay, Leanne, thank you so much for your time. Enjoy, yeah, enjoy your celebration over the birthday. weekend. Enjoy uh, your, enjoy your celebration over the weekend. Minus your four hundred and thirty-nine <laughs> public representatives. Um, don't know how the party is going to deal with that one. But Leanne, thank you so much for your time. EFF spokesperson and also the former Treasurer General of uh, the EFF. Zero six one four one zero four one zero seven. Let's quickly see if we can squeeze in about two voice notes.